the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, April 15th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show, we'll be looking at the government's latest strategy to return the economy to full employment. What does this mean and how will it work? And we'll consider Permanent TSB's 525 million euro capital raising plan. What will it mean for the bank and is it a good deal for taxpayers? I'm joined in studio by Arthur Beasley, economics editor of the Irish Times and Chris Johns, a columnist with this newspaper. Arthur, we might start with you. Uh, the government has defined full employment as I understand it as the equivalent of an unemployment rate of 6%. Tell us how that works. Um, below 6%. Now, that uh, would still imply that rather a lot of people are without work. Um, but to get there, the government would have to create or there would have to be an additional 160,000 jobs created in this country. And we're at, we're at about 10% at the minute. Uh, we are just below. The unemployment rate is expected to drop this month just below 10%. Uh, the rate at the very height of the crisis in the wake of the crash was 15.1%. And that was roughly four years ago when this government came into power. Uh, that was in 2012, in fact. Uh, so there's been a... There's been a Sorry, it was 15.1 when they came yes, into power. Yes, yeah. yes. So there's, a, 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 there's been a, quite, quite a degree of progress, but still huge progress uh, remains to be made. But, I mean, it's important to point out, uh, if you look at the unemployment rate one year ago, it was at uh, close to 12%. Now it's expected to dip below 10%. So, I mean, progress is being made. Yeah, Chris, what's the government been doing right? How have we managed this uh, drop in unemployment, a substantial drop in unemployment over the past 12 months? They got lucky um, in terms of the structure of the labour market that they inherited. We did a lot of good things over many years to have this much-vaunted flexible labour market that the IDA sells to the multinational sector, for example. So we do have, for example, a much more flexible labour market than does the Spain, for example. So our unemployment rate has come down much faster than theirs. The economy has grown, and that's been the number one driver of this, that the economic growth cures a lot of ills, not least unemployment. But the progress has been rapid. The time period that you've just described is uh, essentially about two percentage points, give or take, per year that we're coming down. So, you know, to get to 5%, we've only got another two and a half years to in go theory, if, that rate, if that rate continues. Um, I think it'll continue, but it, but it may well slow down a wee bit. The last leap, the last steps to getting that last bit of unemployment out of the way is always, always the hardest. But the main driver has been the growth in the economy. We've got one of the fastest growing economies in the OECD, one of possibly the fastest growing economy in the euro area. Um, the government would claim credit for that in the, 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 the difficult decisions that they took and the, we always have to say the, the sacrifices that the Irish people made have been responsible for where we are now, for the growth in the economy that we've you seen. You seem to be saying that with a slightly sceptical air. Well, not really. Um, well, in part. Um, I do think that the government did do a lot of things right. I do think they inherited something that was good, which was the structure of the labour market. They can't take credit for the fact that we do, in Ireland, have, relatively speaking, a flexible labour market. We haven't done nearly as well as the US or the Brits, of course, where they do have unemployment under 6%, and there are lots of reasons for that. Their economy started growing before ours did. The Brits in particular have done a lot of interesting things with respect to welfare reform that would politically be incredibly unpalatable here. But they've this done is to try and push people back into work. Yes. So they've, they, they've introduced things like welfare caps. There's a 23,000 sterling a year limit on any one household's annual uh, welfare bill, for example, and they're talking about reducing that further. They've introduced lots of other sticks and carrots into encouraging people back in 
to the labor force. It's being very controversial. It's politically very sensitive. Um, but the, the brutal truth is that it's worked, and the Brits have an unemployment rate of approaching 5%. They have what we would call, and I think they would call too, full employment, partly as a result of economic growth, but also as a result of reforming the labor market. One of the reasons why Germany has full employment was because of structural reforms. They were called the Hartz IV reforms. that are now a decade old. These things take a long time. These things do come through. But we do actually know a lot about how labor markets work. And when they are flexible, when we do the things, the menu of choices that the Brits have done, the Germans have done, it has those effects. But you do need the economic growth as well. Of course, Britain has its own currency. They effectively did their own quantitative easing program long before uh, the ECB. Um, Arthur, uh, that undoubtedly helped... um, well, it did. And I mean, the fact, the fact of the matter is, is that we are, uh, to an extraordinary extent, huge beneficiaries of the advance of both the American and British economies, mm. which were the beneficiary beneficiaries of much bigger central bank interventions than uh, the uh, economies of the Eurozone. Now, what's happening now is that the Eurozone finally is showing uh, some tentative signs of recovery, thanks to the uh, quantitative e- easing program of the European Central Bank, very recently introduced, very belatedly, but something which has given at least some confidence to people that there is scope finally for the Eurozone to actually turn around. Yeah. And Chris, the decline in the value of the euro against the dollar and sterling and so forth, that's been good for Irish exports, hasn't it? It's and great good news. for Irish tourism. It's, it's, it's great news. And we haven't yet seen anywhere near the full effects that I would expect um, to see in the months and indeed next couple of years, assuming that it's sustained, which does, does seem likely. For, if you look at you know the OECD, the IMF, Davy stockbrokers, every all of the people who forecast in a very public way the Irish economy, each time they're revising their forecasts, they're going up, which is great news. You know, we had a nearly five percent economy last year. IBEC are saying we're going to get another one this year. Those kinds of growth rates will produce further large falls in unemployment. What do you think we'll have this year? Growth. Um, the current consensus to me, I think, is about four. I'd be near a five. I'd be with IBEC on this. Um, as you probably know from my, my columns that I write quite often about the perils of economic forecasting. I hate doing it. You'll always be wrong. And there are lots of good reasons why you'll always be wrong. But to the extent that you want to shade how you think things are going to go this year, side with the optimists. Things are looking... You know, the IMF just a couple of weeks ago surprised everybody here by saying in very un-IMF language, the Irish economy is firing on all cylinders. That's an extraordinary thing for the IMF to say. And if it's even only half right, which I think it is, then I think we're going to see more uh, upgrades to economic forecasts and we should um, side with the optimists on this one. Arthur, are you as optimistic? Um, I, I'd be inclined to agree. I think really, you know, I mean, I think one economic forecast is, I mean, they kind of, they're, they're like sentences. I mean, one sentence differs from another, but it might say the same thing. I think the, you know, the forecast, actual numbers that you get for forecast, they're a bit like opinion poll results. They don't give you, they don't pinpoint to scientific accuracy, but they do demonstrate what's going on at the trend, what's going on underneath the surface. And I think all the signs right now are that the the economy is, is growing quite speedily. There's no doubt about that. Chris, what exactly? Exactly is uh, full employment. How do we define it? Uh, well, we could have a long and very dull discussion about this, Kieran. But essentially, economists like to think of the unemployment rate that's full as being either something consistent with a stable rate of inflation. So, a central banker, an ECB official, would say the unemployment rate that's consistent with two percent inflation. That sounds incredibly old-fashioned now that we have deflation in Europe. Two percent inflation—that seems a long, long way away. Um, 
the, the, the other thing is, is would be the absence of what we call structural or long-term unemployment, that the only unemployment that's out there is, is frictional, which is a piece of jargon that means it's just people in the natural course of things changing jobs, unemployed for a few weeks while they get themselves sorted out, and that long-term unemployment has virtually disappeared. Those are the kinds of concepts that we deal with when we talk about full employment, which is why we say that full employment is a number like 5%, because that's kind of sort of what people think is frictional rather than structural. Okay, Arthur, Chris has suggested that luck has played its part in bringing down the unemployment rate over the past uh, few years, but I presume the government has actually got a strategy to try and bring it down over the next few years. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Well, key here is Ireland's uh, foreign direct investment policy, the uh, role of IDA Ireland. And they have uh, pushed is, that hard, haven't they? Well, we have very to much so. And even you know, e- even when the the uh, the Irish economy as a whole was in a state of collapse, Ireland continued to win uh, foreign direct investment projects. Now, a lot of that has to do with the tax uh, tax system, but it was also the fact. There's also the case that the Irish economy made very large competitiveness gains. The cost of doing business in Ireland dropped quite substantially at the time of the crash. That's what always happens. I think that is actually one of the concerns as we look into the future be because. As a, yeah, as a as an economy recovers, assuming there's no shock to the system, uh, there is always the danger that uh, costs start creeping upwards, that the costs of doing business, of employing people, rents, all the rest of it, that they start to uh, kind of, if you like, make incursions into the kind of thinking that people have who might be minded to make investments in Ireland. Yeah. Chris, I'd listed out some of the risks. Actually, Arthur's touched on a few of the internal ones, cost competitiveness, public sector pay bill. There's talks uh, underway this year about perhaps restoring some of the public sector pay that's been taken off them over the last few years. A shortage of skilled workers in certain growth areas. Externally, uh, British exit from uh, uh, the EU, uh, bond markets, uh, a Greek exit from the Eurozone, uh, US growth. Which, which would you, of those, would you put top of the list? I would... And ambiguously, you can put, your own. put the Greek um, exit at, at top of the list because that seems now it's, it's a probabilistic exercise. Who knows? But it seems to me, to me, to be more likely than not. Um, the only thing that will rescue Greece ultimately will be when their and if their economy starts growing. We talked about economic growth in in the context of our labour market. It, it's all that matters for for Greece as well. Their economy has to start growing soon because if it doesn't, then exit just becomes even more inevitable. A higher probability. Than it, than it is now. The, the, the view abroad in European capitals is that the euro area co- is in much better position to withstand the exit of Greece. I really wouldn't want to test that assumption in combat. I think that, that um, the unintended or unforeseeable consequences of Greece leaving the euro um, will, be, will be large. Um, I do think that Greece, if it wasn't for their geopolitical, geostrategic position, would have left between east and west would have been booted Mm. the Germans have given up on Greece in my opinion and I think that they would have been let go by now if it hadn't been for the Americans leaning very heavily via NATO on the euro area Germany in particular to keep this very strategically important country on side the pivot to Putin all that kind of stuff that Syriza are playing Greece have been been making eyes at Putin absolutely with good reason and because it does have it is a form of leverage it's one of the few bits of leverage that they do have now yeah, Arthur, could Ireland withstand uh, a Greek exit from the euro? Um, 
I think it could, but I think I think it would present difficulties. I mean, there's a report yesterday from uh, UBS which said, look at you know the 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 message that has been conveyed from European capitals that you know the eurozone can with, withstand a Brexit without any major incident uh, is really you know far too optimistic. And uh, in the UBS assessment, without naming any countries, it says that uh, you know it's 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 foreseeable that other countries could well follow Greece out of the eurozone within a matter. Of of months, and they attribute that level of risk to the kind of uncertainty that that would be cast over the sanctity of bank deposits in other weakened countries. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very uh, acute kind of a risk that would that would present itself because what you're dealing with is uh, the issues that uh, regular people on the street uh, have going on in their head as they uh, make withdrawals and lodgements uh, from their own banks and we saw in the at the time of the crash in 2007 and 2008 how volatile uh, banking deposits can be and that is a that is a very if you like it's a very perilous window to open I'd agree with Chris in respect of you know Greece's position and the the geopolitics of it all for all the faults of Greece, and they are just so manifold at this point, the country is a relative beacon of democratic stability in that part of the world. Um, and, and you were there, Arthur, weren't you, at the height of it uh, during the, the, the Eurozone crisis uh, as European correspondent for the Irish Times. Absolutely. And you, you, I mean, I think you got tear gas yeah, as well yeah, as yeah, part of a, yes, a, a, a big of a, protest a, march a, that was going on. Uh, not, not you weren't participating, do- you were yes. reporting, of course. Yes, absolutely. But a not very appealing dose of a, of a policeman's uh, um, uh, tear gas, and it's, a, it's quite something to, uh, to uh, take in. So you've sensed but, the anger that's on the, yeah, on the absolutely. ground. Absolutely, and that was years ago at this point. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean my, my visit to Athens were... It can only have been heightened since Yeah, then. absolutely. And this is going on for so long. And, you know, I... I agree with Chris. Uh, I do think that the, the Germans have essentially given up on the Greeks. I doubt very much that there is going to be a new deal um, under which yet more bailout loans will be granted to Greece in a scenario where it's not in a position to repay them. So, uh, I mean, who, who knows? But it's certainly going to be a very very rocky period ahead. Chris, going back to the Irish jobs story, what are the growth areas likely to be over the next three to five years? Well, they have to be if we're going to get these further falls in unemployment. The domestic economy, the international sector is, is taken as a given almost that um, that's an important source of employment. It actually isn't an important source of employment growth. Um, the jobs that we have in that sector have been around for quite some time. They picked up a wee bit, but it's the, it's the, the thing that's gotten our unemployment rate down so quickly is the fact that over the last short while, our domestic economy has started. So it's indigenous. It's 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 you know it's Irish companies producing Irish jobs. Um, you know it's in the financial sector. It's in the hospitality sector. It's in what we you know it's the agri business sector. That's incredibly what important. About That's lagging, um, but that too has to come on stream as well. That has to be part of the story. Retail retailing employment is a very important part of the picture, but it is possibly one of the last ones that we will see falling into place. Okay. That that particular sector is, is one which you you would expect to benefit as domestic demand comes back into the economy, and I think it's it, the consensus at this point is that the the big leap forward made last year and the in in the turnaround was that finally after years and years of stagnation that uh, that domestic demand uh, recovered last year and, start, and the people started spending money again. Yeah, that Chris- is accretive as well. Mm. I mean, it's a sense you know as the more it goes on, the better it gets. Chris, let's assume that the unemployment figures continue to fall and they go maybe below 9% in the next uh, year, uh, around about the time when we'll have a general election. Do you think it'll be enough to save the skin of the two parties in government at the minute, particularly the Labour Party, which is really floundering in the polls? 
I suspect right this now. is a question more for Arthur than, 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 than I. Um, uh, I think it will um, for a number of reasons. Um, I think that, you know, it is the economy stupid, as, as uh, our American cousins say. Um, I think people are feeling better. Um, it's been fascinating to watch the UK election in this regard and watch some of the more extreme parties start to fall away. The bubble has come out of UKIP, for example, in a small way. As people begin to realise that, you know, things ain't quite as bad as we thought they were um, and just maybe taking a risk with a big change isn't, isn't uh, you know, going either to the extreme of the left or the extreme of the right is the way forward. People have a habit of telling opinion pollsters one thing, being a wee bit extreme with their views when they, they talk to opinion pollsters and then doing something else when they actually go into the polling booth. I wrote about John Major's election 23 years ago when the opinion poll said, you know, he wasn't going to win. Neil Kinnock, the then Labour socialist leader, was going to be the next prime minister. And Major had a very simple message, which is that he's going to put your taxes up. I'm not. And he totally blew the opinion polls out of the water with that very simple message on taxation. And he won more British, he won more votes than any British prime minister in history with that very simple message on taxation. And I would suspect that that's, you know, well, I would certainly advise, but I would suspect that that's something similar that the um, that Ender Kenny uh, and Fine Gael could hammer away at over the next 12 months, which is that if you want your taxes to go up, vote for somebody else. Yeah, I mean, there is a political risk here, Arthur, to the recovery, isn't there? I mean, if Sinn Féin and a lot of these left-wing independents that are doing so well in the polls at the minute were to get into government. Uh, and how much how much interest do you think there is abroad in that story right now? I, th- I think it's there in, in the, on the horizon. Um, I think if you look at the, the real gauge of the market's assessment of where Ireland is at is in terms of the, re- the real borrowing costs, which are essentially at record lows, and they are beneficiaries of uh, quantitative easing by the European Central Bank. You'd have to think, however, if the market really gauge that you're going to have a Sinn Féin-led government propped up by uh, an assortment of left-wing radical parties making up the numbers, well, then that the market would start... That the, the Ireland's borrowing costs would go up, and uh, that's not there at the moment. Now, maybe we have a Sinn Féin government at some point uh, going into the future, but it seems to me that the market is kind of saying, "Look, at uh, there is no uh, real threat here at this point." as we look at it, that you would have some kind of a government that's going to go in and adopt a completely different policy, maybe repudiate debt or whatever. Um, I I think the market thinks that that is unlikely. I think in terms of the election itself, um, I think one of the maybe untold stories, perhaps, is the, what's going to go on in the Dublin electorate. There's a huge volume of seats there. The, certainly the, the, you know, the hard left and Sinn Féin are going to take up a large number. But Fianna Fáil is very, very weak in, the, in Dublin. There is, there no is, TDs. No TDs. Did relatively did, did very well in the, in the local election comparatively, but there's no Dublin figurehead for Fianna Fáil. And you know, it's, it's just not going to happen that the, the Dublin electorate is going to swing in its entirety to the hard left. Fianna Gael are going to win seats. There's an Fianna Fáil are deficient in this area, and it seems to me there's probably an opportunity there for Labour to pick up seats uh, against the grain, if you like, of expectation. Chris Johns, full employment by 2018, yes or, yes or no? Yes. Arthur? Probably. Okay, you're listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast. Next up, Chris will save me to discuss the turnaround in the fortunes at Permanent TSB. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. 
they don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. Now to permanent TSB. This week, the bank, which is 99.2% owned by the state, announced details for its €525 million Euro capital raising plan. This includes a return to the main stock markets in Dublin and London. To consider the consequences of this for the bank and for Irish taxpayers is uh, Chris Johns, economist and a columnist with this newspaper. Uh, Chris, PTSB received a bailout cheque for £2.7 back in 2011 uh, from, from the Irish taxpayer. It's now proposing as part of this plan, it's going to give us back £400 million as a first instalment. Uh, there might be something like 25% of the bank given away to private investors so that the state will still retain a 75% shareholding or thereabouts. Uh, is that a good deal for taxpayers, do you think? Um, it, it's an OK deal. Um, I think it's right to be selling a bit of the bank now. Um, the, the, the issue about whether or not we'll get our money back um, is couched in terms of the, the broader bailout. It now looks, the government is asserting that we'll get everything back from um, the banks that still exist. In, in the, the round. round. Not necessarily Not from necessarily each from bank, each one, but the total will be roughly what we what we put into them. The um, and the numbers are seem to be getting better each day as, as the environment for the banks improves. Um, sometimes that's a function of the share prices themselves, particularly for Bank of Ireland doing well. It's It's been a bit static recently. But the hope, I think that's a, that's a reasonable expectation over a long period of time. But what you're doing here is you're trying to guess what share prices are going to be one, two, mm. three, four, five years hence, when eventually all of these stakes in all three banks um, are, are 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 sold, and and that's that's an exercise fraught with danger. There are many variables. I mean, forecasting stock prices at the best of times is is going to be tricky. So I think selling a stake in the bank now is a good idea um, because I think it will probably help the recovery of the bank over time, having a primary listing, as you said, having a significant cohort of outside shareholders puts discipline and governance structures onto organisations, not just banks, but any company with a listing that usually is good for behaviour. It's, it's, it's not so good for the government to own 100% of a bank because that sets up different incentives, different governance structures. So I think it's healthy and healthy for the, sh- for the government, for the taxpayer as the main shareholder to go down to 75%. Mm. If the question is, is this the best possible time to sell your 25%, nobody really knows the answer to that. The fact that we can do it sooner than we thought possible, mm. even a short time ago, I think is a positive sign. And I, if we go back to last October when this mm. process began, after mm. they failed the European Central Bank stress tests, uh, the, the likelihood back then we was that We wouldn't have they been would, having this conversation. No, but the likelihood mm. back then was that they were going to have to sell maybe 40% of the bank mm. and that they might only get $300 million for that money. We're now looking at yes. essentially $525 million for 25% of the bank. Yep. And indeed, the government might be selling a few of its own shares as part of that process, so it might be taking some additional money off the table in addition to the $400 million that permanent TSB is going to give it back, not to get too technical. But you have all the numbers. Yeah. And it's uh, so, I mean, it's an impressive turnaround in the space of six months, especially when you consider that permanent TSP has a big 15 billion euro loss making tracker book. It has huge mortgage arrears 
And it also, uh, it's a, getting it in the neck from yeah. its standard variable rate customers who are accusing it of profiteering in terms of its 4.5% yeah. SVR. Are, there are lots of issues there. The first one that you mentioned, which is just how quickly things can turn around. And it's not so much that things have turned around for permanent TSB, although clearly it is being helped by the, the environment in which it's operating, which is the Irish economy, which in the space of six months, as we discussed earlier, um, both the economic data and forecasts for the future have been getting better. That's the operating environment for the bank getting better. We know that banking in particular is quite profitable in Ireland right now, with the uh, exception, park the issue of, of the of tracker, trackers, book, which is a legacy which, issue, which is a legacy issue. But the net interest margin, which is the key profitability yeah. metric for these banks, is going up. Now, that's a good thing for banks. It's a good thing for shareholders. It's not a good thing for, track, for, for variable mortgage holders because they're the people who are in part responsible for the increase in net interest margins of some of these banks. But what you've got to remember, and this is going to sound quite brutal, um, from the point of view of a bank that we own 100% as taxpayers, we as a country should applaud the increase in profitability. The, the, the difficulty that it's coming via a particular segment of its customer base, a very vulnerable uh, challenged, very stressed uh, part of its customer base, the variable rate mortgage holder, is a problem. But for the country, the improvement in profitability outweighs hmm. the, the, if you like, the brutal financial calculus for that segment of the country. And we should say that permanent TSB as a group is still loss-making. It's on yes. its way to uh, profitability yes. as a group. Yeah. It's In terms of its yes. kind of its core operating bank, uh, yes. it's making a small profit. So. So as, 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 as brutal shareholders, we should applaud the increase in mm. profitability. If we want to help the variable rate mortgage holders, we, we can find ways of doing that. But it, it, it should be through other avenues, not through reducing the profitability of permanent TSB. Now, the, the, the thing that's, that's worrying in all of that is, well, there are several aspects that are worrying in all of that. First of all, the reason, one of the reasons why banks are becoming more sustainable, more profitable here is good. The, the economy is better. The operating environment is normalizing. That's good. That's sustainable. The thing that's, that worries some of us is that another reason why they're so profitable on their newer business rather than the legacy business is that there ain't an awful lot of banking competition mm. in Ireland right now. Mm. And if you've effectively got AIB, Bank of Ireland, Ulster Bank, you've got KBC and Permanent yeah. TSB, but they're two small players. They're very small they? players. And they're not universal yeah. banks. So it's, it's, it's oligopolistic, if you like. And there certainly ain't anywhere near the competition levels that we had a few years ago because of all of the foreign names that have pulled out. Yeah, six or eight banks have gone. That's right. And arguably, the banks themselves aren't falling over themselves, the ones that are left to compete with each other in the way that they... they if competition were to come back into the Irish marketplace, if some, you know, either via the old-fashioned route of those foreigners or different foreigners coming back, um, and or uh, technology, meaning that online banking finally mm. takes off um, in, a, in ways that it hasn't done yet, the online competition, internet banks and the like. Um, they are, you know, the, 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 the crowdfunding lending. Um, there's a, there was an announcement yesterday um, of a new internet bank being set up in the UK that would also set up in Ireland. Um, these things all represent competitive threats. Now, if competitive threats come back, that means that net interest margin will start going down again. That's what competition does to profit margins. The lack of competition... And that's what happened in the boom years. Absolutely. Net interest margins were very skinny here. And what actually happened was that if your if your profit per unit per euro that you lend is very low, the way you 
maintain your absolute level of profits is that you, you lend a lot of euros. That's what they did. They don't actually have to lend very much right now to make a lot of money because the, the, the unit of profit per euro of lending is so high. We've gone back to levels of profitability that we haven't seen for over a decade actually, in terms yeah. of these net interest margins. So that's a concern. The second concern is, would we be, you know, we talked earlier on about the political threats from Brexit, Brexit Greek Britain, and all the rest of it. Um, would we be selling, would we be able to even contemplate selling a slice of the Irish banking system to private investors if we had a Sinn Féin-led government right now? I suspect the answer to that would be an emphatic no. Would they want to They wouldn't the let it happen in the mm. first place, mm. and investors wouldn't be interested, even if they did. Mm. Um, the other thing is that David Duffy, uh, in front of an Oireachtas committee late last year, s- suggested that it could take as many as 10 years to uh, fully divest of AIB. Now, I, I don't know, a similar time frame may or may not apply mm. to permanent DSB. Uh, does that seem overly long to you, a bit conservative? Or do you think I think he almost right? certainly was being conservative. If, if the rate of progress in the Irish economy um, and the Irish banking environment continues in the way that it has, it will take less than 10 years. The option to sell those shares will be there to, for the government to do it to do it in less than 10 years. Look how quickly we've gone from thinking NAMA would still be around in the 2020s, loss-making, to... It's gone. It's, effectively. It's, it's effectively, you know, and we're only... It's still only 2015. We, we were in the 2020s only a year ago about, th- you know, these things change rapidly. Mm-hmm. Equally, if we were to have a, a Greek exit from the euro and a new European recession, mm-hmm. yeah, it could take easily take a lot more than 10 years to, to, to divest ourselves. It all depends... It depends on, but if if this positive environment that we have now continues, then we'll be able to continue selling stakes in the banks. Let's just talk about the interest uh, rates and the mortgage arrears Mm. because they're two political hot potatoes. There's been a huge clamour in relation to the variable uh, mortgage rates that basically the banks are ripping people off. They're charging about 4.5% to existing customers at least when, you know, ECB rates are practically zero. And in terms of mortgage arrears, here we are, you know, seven, eight years on from the crash and we still have a huge clump, over 100,000 people in mortgage arrears and very few repossessions have come into the market now, but we're starting to see a lot of civil bills before the courts emerging. So that would suggest that repossessions are really going to start accelerating. When private investors are involved uh, in these banks, you know, 25% of of PTSB is held by private investors a couple of months down the road. How do you think they're going to feel about uh, giving a break to those variable rate customers or to the mortgage arrears customers to keep people in their homes? It depends on who those investors are. If it were to be like the, the structure that Bank of Ireland um, managed to do for itself and got some very large single or a small group of institutional investors that ended up taking seats on the board or the court as it's called for Bank of Ireland then um, you would expect a much more robust attitude These were Wilbur Ross and Prem Watson Absolutely we'll If it's a much more diverse retail hands-off group of investors then the, the, the robustness will be, would be much less but the, the existence of private shareholders does focus the mind of a board, no matter who they are. And, it, you know, the private sector shareholding thing will increase the robustness with which the banks deal with, um, with, with mortgage arrears. That said, I mean, Bank of Ireland's hardly, you know, been taking a massive lead in this area. It, too, has been foot dragging. There are all sorts of incentives for the banks themselves to drag their feet in all of this. Um, uh, you know, putting things on the long finger has its attractions in this area. And so far, so good is, is you know, the, the heat that the banks take um, from a PR political perspective is enormous. Um, we don't do the bank 
the, the, the home repossession thing in the way that, that other countries do. And yes, it's accelerating. Yes, it's going to accelerate. I doubt very much if it's going to you know, be a waterfall effect, that, it, that all of a sudden we're going to see you know, um, a, a, an absolute cascade of, of repossessions. These things have a natural rhythm to them, and the natural rhythm in this country is to take it slowly. Right. Now, AIB is also in the space of uh, moving towards private hands. Goldman Sachs has been hired by the government to have a look at uh, how it might best get its money back. I, I guess the permanent TSB story, you know, has been quite a positive one over the past couple of months. Yeah. A lot of investor interest. I think they've met 108 investors. This bodes well for AIB, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, the, again, it's, 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 got, it's got a specific Irish banking story in terms of the profitability of Irish banking improving by the day for the reasons that we've discussed. There is a dark side to that because of how they've improved their profitability has political consequences. But from a buying a stake in a bank perspective, that's just good news. Um, uh, the Irish economy is still great news. Capital markets, equity markets in particular, I mean, they just keep going to new highs. That improves the mood of investors. Investors are looking for new investment opportunities in that environment. For as long as that continues, and there's no reason to suppose right now that it is going to change, but for as long as that continues, it looks great for selling these stakes. Yeah. And finally, Chris, um, the ordinary shareholders of Permanent TSB who were there before it was nationalised, I think they've just less than 1% between them at the minute. They're going to be offered uh, shares uh, in the bank on the same terms as the private investors. If you were one of, I don't know if you are or not, but if you were one of those uh, shareholders, uh, would I'm, you be tempted? I'm not a shareholder in um, either AIB or Pernet TSB. Because I was an ex-Bank of Ireland employee, I have some shares in the bank that were sold to me at a much higher price than <laughs> they are today. So there is a vested interest there, um, but um, it, it's, it's, it's a legacy one. Um, I, I just don't know. Um, are you Wilbur Ross buying Bank of Ireland or doing the equivalent of buying Bank of Ireland at 10 cents and selling out at 30? They're tripling your money. Um, you need to be very good uh, in terms of your timing. You need to be an you know, absolutely first-rate investor and lucky to make that kind of money that quickly. Um, could you triple your money if you subscribed to... Um, the, the, the shares in the next few weeks? Um, maybe. Frankly, I doubt it. I don't think it is going to be like the Bank of Ireland. I mean, Bank of Ireland has tripled off its lows, or more than tripled, but it's still the same price that it was six, seven years ago. OK, well, we'll see how it plays out. That's it from the Irish Times Business Podcast for this week. My thanks to Arthur Beasley and Chris Johns for their contributions. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget that you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. 